0: Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Wayne's, World, Wayne's World. Yeah, time for Wayne's World on a Wednesday morning. Wayne Goldsmith, an internationally recognised coaching guru, having worked with sports teams right around the globe on all sorts of things. The website, wgcoaching.com. Your questions and inquiries are welcome via phone, if you like, 0800 825 577, or on the text 5009 if you've got any Questions at all about the content we're about to discuss, or anything that you think Wayne might be able to help you with, then he's happy to uh, to hear those inquiries. And you can put your email address in the text as well, if you like, and we'll attempt to get you a uh, a more comprehensive answer. Wayne Goldsmith is with us. How are you doing this morning, Wayne? Getting a bit more sleep now the World Cup's over. Oh yes, yeah.
1: thankfully I am getting a lot of sleep. I missed the, the spectacle already, but we've got a lot of other sport to look forward to. The finals of NRL, AFL, Super Rugby, all those things are just around the corner, so there's always enough to keep you up and active, isn't there?
0: Absolutely right. Well, you talk about the the finals and the teams that make the finals will be the winning teams, I guess you'd say, the ones that get more wins than losses. I want to talk this morning, though, about those other teams, the teams that don't achieve the results on the field that they would hope to achieve, sometimes don't achieve the results that you think they potentially could. We're talking, of course, about teams that lose, losing teams, In broad terms, Wayne, are there general characteristics of a losing sports team? Well, there's a difference,
1: Piney, obviously, between little kids and big kids. Let's say, put it that way, that with the little kids, the eight, nine, ten year olds that uh, have a good performance one week and they're not so successful the next week, it really doesn't matter all that much. And we've talked about that in recent weeks, that what they need is a hug and an ice cream and let's move on and do something else that's a lot more fun and just don't emphasise winning and losing that much at all if you're a parent or coach working with little kids. With the older ones and and with seniors, I'm lucky over the years I've worked a lot with professional teams and actually I'm just gearing up at the moment to do some end-of-season review work for some professional teams here. The important thing is to figure out why, is why did things not work out the way that they hoped for? Now, the common characteristics are basically that everybody, not necessarily as good friends and gets along, but everybody is prepared to work together towards a common goal. That's the critical. And I go in and you don't really look at uh, weight equipment or how much money they've got in the bank or this stadium. The really critical thing is, is everybody in the organization working together towards a common goal.
0: When you, uh, when you can't reach that common goal, though, and there's no obvious reason, w- I mean, where do you start, Wayne, when you're doing all the right things? You're, you know, you're, you're putting in the, the hours, you, you seem to be doing the right things in terms of tactics and, uh, and the technical side of things, but those results just aren't coming. W- what is the next step after that?
1: Well, the way I go about it, I don't know about everybody, the way I go about it is I've got a very simple initial process, which is I ask the players the coaches and the staff to evaluate where they think they are on a clock. I call it the performance clock. And if you can imagine a clock on the wall, the face of a clock, and I'll say to them, look, guys, if your team is at 12 o'clock, if you're sitting at 12 o'clock, you've just won the super rugby final, you've won the AFL flag, you're the best in the world, the Olympic gold medalist, where do you think the team is relative to 12 o'clock being the best that you could ever be? And I ask them that purely to get an idea of what do they feel. What do they feel first? Not what they believe or what can they measure, but I ask them what do they feel. And then I might systematically say, guys, what I'd like you to do is out of 10, rate the equipment that you use, rate the management of the team. Just, and I get them just thinking and evaluating after I figure out how they feel or I get them to think about how they feel. I ask them to evaluate the different parts of their program. Again, just to give me some general ideas on what do the people in the team actually think's working and not working. Then we follow up and try and do some analysis. The critical thing, Jason, and this is really the key message, if you're a professional, your job is to find a way to win. It's a one-line position description, find a way to win. If you're not winning, you have to figure out why, and it has to be systematic, methodical, and unemotional. That's critical. It can't be, hey, we lost because we don't like that guy or we lost because the coach smells. It's got to be a methodical, systematic process to really identify the things that are
0: working and not working. Is that a challenging process to go through, though, Wayne? Because sometimes you you, you could say, look, it's just because we the, the ball didn't bounce the right way. And in and, and that game, the ref gave that call against us. You know, is it a challenging Process to go through that thorough, methodical process to actually find out what's at the nub of the issue. Yeah, it really
1: is, and some people have got a, a perception around those types of things, pointed because it might be something that they feel is personally important to them. So, it was a, a end of season review I was doing a few years ago with a rugby team, and went through that, and they said, "Oh, our problem is our defence. Our defence is terrible. Uh, we've got to do something about defence. It's our defensive strategies." When you actually looked at the data, when you actually looked at their stats, their defensive work was as good as anyone who finished in the top four in Super Rugby that year. The real issue wasn't that. The real issue wasn't their defense. There was some personality issues and some conflicts within the team that led to a lack of honesty and trust in the environment, and that was having an impact on the defensive line. So it was more a personality conflict and a cultural thing within the club it manifests itself as defence, but in reality, it was what was happening off the field and what was happening between the players. It was eroding the success of the team. So you've got to go through those. And at professional level, it's about honesty. You've got to be very honest in your analysis and very honest about evaluating the things that are working and not working.
0: They say that winning is a habit and momentum can be gained by winning. Can losing become a habit? It can. It can. And it's. Uh, it reminds me of...
1: Uh, a few years ago, I was working with an AFL team and we were on about a 10-game losing streak. And every Monday, the coach would come in and do the name and shame and the, the captain would do the same. And there was this sameness every Monday. This is what we went did wrong. This is what we're going to do this week. They'd all stand up and high-five and say, this will be the week when we turn it around. This will be our week. And nothing really changed. As they say, nothing changes unless something changes. So what we ended up doing, we just scrapped those Monday morning. Let's talk about what we did wrong, and immediately went into something that the team could do together that was positive, that changed the approach and the attitude of players. We just changed things around a little bit in the rooms. We met in a different room instead of meeting in the same room. We just changed a few things to try and break that, as you say, that habit of hang on, here's another week and it's gonna. There's a great line of like which says, start the way you want to finish. So if you start doing the same thing that led to a loss. Well, chances are over the week that'll build and build and build and you'll lose again. So that first step on the Monday morning was, let's change this up. Let's change some simple things and see if we can break this mindset that's leading us to do the same things the same way and keep
0: losing. Wayne Goldsmith is on the air with us. WGCoaching.com is his website, Uh, 5009, if you'd like to text your questions through. Wayne, a lot of our listeners are Blues fans. And they've had a pretty uh, hard time of things in recent times, including this season, where after 16 games in Super Rugby, they had just four wins and 12 losses. Without going into any deep analysis, are you able to see from the outside any particular things that might be leading to the Blues' lack of success?
1: Oh, look, if I was to do that, I'd probably lose half your listeners. No, no, look, uh, (laughs) the question I would have, if I was sitting down with the Blues management at the moment, and it would be the same as any team in the same situation, is I would say I would look at, at three or four key areas. I'd say, guys, the 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 track record of the team over the past five to ten years, and you might say even longer than that. What's changed? Okay, so you've got uh, you've had a series of very talented, very smart coaches. You can't deny that. There's been some great coaches in that club over a period of time. Yep. Have you got access to some of the greatest rugby playing talent? In the world, absolutely. How many All Blacks have come out of Auckland? You you can't count them. There's been so many amazing players come out of the Auckland region. All right, are you lacking in facilities? Well, no, I've been there and I've I've been in Auckland and watched rugby games, fantastic. Uh, Are you lacking with strength conditioning expertise? No, the guy you've got, as I understand, is pretty great. And I start to go systematically and ask them to lock out the things that aren't responsible. It's a bit like you go to a doctor and the doctor says, have you got a temperature? No. Have you got a sore throat? No. Have you got breathing difficulties? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that might be A, B, C, D. So I go through a process with them of eliminating the things that they believe are not responsible for the performance. That would lead you in the case that you've just asked me about. What's the one thing that hasn't changed or what are the things that haven't changed? So you've, you haven't had the success that you guys have dreamed of in uh, in playing the game. Uh, you've had great coaches, great facilities. It's a great city. It's uh, You've had great players. All right, what are the only things that have been consistent through that? Probably leadership would be something I would look at. Second thing I would look at would be the culture of the whole environment of rugby in Auckland. Third thing I'd look at would be some broader tactical and strategic things, but I'm guessing it wouldn't be that because, in all honesty, my friend, New Zealand, would have to be the smartest rugby nation in the world. hurts me to say that as an Aussie, but you guys are clearly the superior rugby nation in the world and proven that over 100 years. I would tend to think the answer is in the leadership and in the culture around not just the club, but the culture around high-performance rugby in the Auckland community. I would be looking at that very, very closely.
0: Good stuff, that's good food for thought uh in terms of team culture, got a question through here on text, which is about team culture. Where do you start to build a culture within a team? You know it might be a team that's uh that's come together and is uh under a new coach or or a bunch of players who are quite fresh into the environment. How do you start building this uh this holy grail the the team culture that everybody talks about wayne Oh, what
1: a wonderful, wonderful question. I right, thank you for that. Look, is very simple. Culture is what you do and how you do it. One of the myths about Culture Pioneer is that you can get someone with a big mouth like me coming in and talking to the group and say, guys, you've got to change, and you know, throwing Anthony Robbins-type slogans at them, like, uh, if it is to be, it is up to me. And the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little extra, you know, we can throw motivation sayings and slogans and everybody changes and all of a sudden they're winning Super Rugby. And we know that that doesn't work. So... If you're thinking about bringing in someone who's a motivational speaker, save your money. Don't, don't waste money thinking one person can come in and change everything. Real culture change grows. So what I say to coaches is look, your job as a coach is to have a clear vision, to have a vision. So again, if you're talking about the Blues, is to have a vision and as a coach see clearly on Super Rugby Final Day next year, standing there with the players and celebrating with the Super Rugby Trophy above your head. And I've got that vision clearly in my mind. It's so real to me that I see the future as clearly as I see the present or the past. And all I need then is one player, maybe the skipper, maybe an influential player. And I share my vision with them with such clarity that they see it with the same clarity that I do. And they're just as excited and they believe it. They've seen my vision They've shared my... It's a great line from Smithy. Yeah? i had Wayne Smith from a few years ago after you guys went in 2011. I was at a session with Smithy, around. And Wayne Smith got up and he said, I've got a line for you. He said, people will believe in a vision, providing they believe it's their vision. It was a wonderful quote. smithy's an absolute genius. And it's your job as a coach or as a leader to share that vision with one person. And then that one player might be having a coffee or doing a strength training routine with another player. And he'll say, Oh, I've seen Wayne's vision. Oh, we could do it this year. We're gonna do this. We're going to do it. And I really and I want you to come along with me. And all of a sudden now you've got two piney and those two become three and three become four. And all of a sudden you've got a critical mass of people who say, you know what, we can do this and we will do these things and we will make it happen. But it's gotta start with the clarity of vision of the leader. And their capacity to inspire just one other person, and then it grows from there. It's almost like a virus. Once you get the culture uh, virus in place, it spreads through the team.
0: You wouldn't expect the captain to, uh, to be the inverse of that, but there might be somebody in the team who perhaps could provide that. He might be the guy who, uh, you know, who's, who is, uh, you know, for whatever reason, is, is a bad apple in the team. Can one bad apple ruin the entire team culture, or does it need more than one?
1: You know, it does that is a great question that. Two years ago I got invited in to work with an NRL team in Sydney. And as usual we go through the process, what's not working here? And and again, great facilities, very, very smart, experienced coach, good leadership at the top, very good board, and so you're going through systematically okay, well, what's not working? What am I seeing here? And I spent a bit of time with the player group and there was one very influential, very experienced high-profile and very well-paid player who was uh, just separate from the group. And not only that, everything that was happening in in confidential discussions, the player was in contract negotiations and they were leaking what was happening to their manager. And the manager was leaking it to the press so that they can put some additional pressure around the team for what's going on in around the team. And this one player, because of their influence, was, I hate to use the word, it was like a cancer. Was like a uh, a rust eroding the team from within because of their strength. The problem is, Piney, is it's very, very difficult for a team or for a board of directors or a coach to go to your star player and say, "You either stop or you're out the door," because that might be the player that's attracting the crowds. That might be the player that's attracting. The, the media and getting the television audiences. But if you look at the great coaches, if you look at the great coaches that we've seen, I mean, people like Hanso and Smithy and, and uh, Ted with you guys and Wayne Bennett, Craig Bellamy, if you look at the great coaches, they're quite happy to cut even the greatest players in the interest of preserving the culture of the team. And at some stage, if you've got one bad apple, if you can't change them, then you've got to let them go and encourage them to go somewhere else. And in, thankfully, in the case of this team I was working with in Sydney, they eventually got rid of the player and mm. everything turned around.
0: Yeah, it's, it um, reminds me of a, a great line I heard from a from a coach. It was actually Mike Hesson, the uh, the Black Caps coach, but I think he stole it or, or was given it by Steve Hansen, All Blacks coach, and that was, if you can't change the man, change the man. And I guess that's what you're talking about there.
1: Yeah, it is. It really is. But my first approach is always is to sit down eyeball to eyeball and look at them and say, this is what's happening. Uh, don't deny it, just man to man. And I quite often I get brought in as a consultant because I'm outside the politics and outside the personalities. And I can just, as an independent, objective consultant, I can walk in and say, mate, I've got to tell you, I think you are the problem. I've had to do that on numerous occasions. And sometimes it snaps them out of a pointy. Sometimes it's because no one's actually said no to them and no one's told them the truth, that they haven't realised just how damaging their behaviour and their actions and their words have been. Other times they maybe make um, less than flattering remarks about uh, me and you're quite used to that. That's, that's all good. It's all part of the business. And sometimes it's just to look in the eye and say, no, I think you're in the wrong place because of this, this and this. But those sort of difficult and honest conversations are what high-performance sport is all about. Mm.
0: One final question for you it takes us back to the uh, to where we started actually when you separated the big boys from the from the little boys. Should parents really worry if their if, if their if their nine year olds team isn't winning every week? Really?
1: No, not really. And, and kids get over those things. Kids all get upset that uh, you turn the television off in the morning when they're going to school. They get upset um, <laughs> if they can't get a, a large size popcorn when they wanted extra large at the movies. Nine year olds get upset about a whole range of things, and I don't know that winning and losing is really all that important to them. It's only there for a moment or two. And if you replace that with kindness and love and compassion, a big hug and a nice ice cream, then most of the time no, I wouldn't be too worried about it. I, my parents will tell me, I had a, a parent not that long ago, pointing right down in beautiful Southland, say to me that they had a child who was in a team who they thought was going to be in the Silver Ferns. And they were considering moving from Southland to Auckland to give their child a better chance of being in a winning team. And I said, how old as a child, they said nine. So I, I said, look, I wouldn't be doing that. I'd just be loving them more, spending more time with them, and encourage them to enjoy every moment of the wonderful game of netball. And as wonderful as Auckland is, uh, it's not the place to go for a nine-year-old.
0: Always love our chats, Wayne. Thanks so much for bringing so much insight and uh and, and really great analysis to the topics we choose each week. It's been a great pleasure as always. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll uh, catch up again next Wednesday.
1: Already looking forward to it. Already looking forward to it.